This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. From a $2,000 tote bag made to look like an IKEA shopping bag to caviar served with potato chips, there's a trend in fashion and in food where traditionally lower status elements are mixed with high end goods. Wharton marketing professor Jonah Berger has co authored a paper on the topic with Sylvia Baletza titled Trickle Round Signals When Low Status is Mixed with High. Jonah is here today to talk about his research. Thanks for joining us today, Jonah. Thanks for having me. What inspired your study? So uh, I've always been interested in why things catch on, uh, why some products, ideas become popular. Um, And if we look around, uh, we definitely see a certain trend uh, as of late. Uh, We see things that uh, seem unusual creeping up uh, in in the popular sphere. And so I think it's very clear uh, that when high-status people do things, uh, the rest of us start start doing it as well, right? So when celebrities wear jeans, for example, or ripped jeans as of late, um, when, uh, you know, celebrity chefs start using potato chips and mixing them with caviar, um, everyone else does uh, the same thing. And, And this is something we've known for a while. But I think a different question is where do those things come from in the first place? So before the celebrities or the high status or the, you know, the, the people we look to uh, start doing things, where do they pick from uh, in the first place? Is it random uh, that some of these things catch on or might we be able to predict where these things come from and, and then predict the next big hit? Well, so, so you introduced this, this idea of trickling round in the paper. So explain the idea of fashion taste trickling round rather than, say, trickling down or trickling up in some cases. Sure, yeah. Um, and so I, I think we're all familiar with the idea of, of trickle down. Uh, if any of you have seen the movie The, the Devil Wears Prada, uh, it talks a little bit about this, right? Um, uh, the, the main character, uh, Meryl Streep's character, is sort of uh, lambasting Anne Hathaway's character saying, oh, you think you dress however you dress, but really it's been chosen for you. You know, uh, a number of years ago, this was the color of the year, the high fashion on the runways. Um, then the, uh, you know, the next set of people start doing it, the next set of celebrities, then the next group of people is, and eventually it trickles down, I forget what she says exactly, but into a bargain bin, bargain bin at Target or something, <laughs> where you where you picked it out or whatever monologue. it might be. And so the notion there is trickle down, right? High status people start doing something, um, uh, then uh, eventually the middle status starts doing it, and it goes mainstream. Everybody's doing it. It trickles down from from the top. Um, the opposite notion that some have suggested uh, is maybe actually in a few cases it's bottom up, right? So traditionally lower status groups or traditionally marginalized groups might start doing something. Then the middle status people do it, uh, and eventually the high status people do it. That's a theory. There's never been really much empirical proof for that theory, a little bit of suggestions here and there. But for the most part, we always see trickle down, right? We see the high status people do it, the people on the runways do it, then the sort of Me Too brands, the Zaras and the H&Ms pick it up, uh, and eventually Gap uh, starts doing it. No offense to Gap. I wear a lot of Gap clothes. Um, But eventually it trickles down into more uh, mainstream uh, folks. And so that idea of trickle down makes a lot of sense. We see it happen often. We thought, though, there was this other pattern that seems to happen. So uh, take, for example, the idea of jeans. Uh, So yes, uh, high status people were wearing jeans, then eventually sort of middle status people started wearing it, it went mainstream. But if you look at where jeans came from originally, uh, it was actually sort of coal miners uh, and traditionally marginalized workers, traditionally lower status groups that were doing it before celebrities uh, started doing it. Uh, Think back, uh, now it's a decade or so now, uh, but think about trucker hats, right? Ashton Kutcher and others were wearing trucker 
trucker hats, those sort of mesh back caps that uh, became popular. Sure, he's a celebrity. Sure, it went mainstream. But who was wearing it before him? It was truckers. They were That's why they're called trucker hats, right? Um, these were, were hats or feed caps that um, companies would give truckers and farmers uh, to wear. Uh, think about the idea of ripped jeans. Where did ripped jeans come? It came from, uh, you know, folks that didn't have the money to patch up their jeans. Think about baggy jeans. Think about many things, potato chips that are mixed with caviar. So they start low. They don't necessarily move to the middle, though, first. They're adopted directly from low by, by the highs. And so that's what we talk about is trickle round. It doesn't go through the middle, and it doesn't top down through the middle to the bottom, but top actually seems to borrow from the lows in some cases. So, so what, is, what do you think is behind this trend? I mean, what, what, what motivates people to borrow a signal from yeah. a different status. Yeah, and so I'm uh, by no means uh, a high fashion person, but I've talked to a lot of folks in high fashion, and my collaborator knows uh, a lot about fashion. Uh, and what you see is that uh, folks in fashion, and I use fashion broadly here, not just clothes, but anyone who wants to be an influencer, anyone who wants to be an early adopter, anyone who wants to be part of the vanguard, they need to differentiate themselves in some way, shape, or form, right? If everyone's doing something, doing it isn't a signal of differentiation. If the mainstream and you know a lot of people are doing something, that's really off off limits. And so if you want to be a high status person, if you are a high status person, you just need to figure out a way to do something new, to do something to differentiate yourself. The challenge is where do those new things come from, right? Uh, you can't do what the middles are already doing because then you'll, you'll end up looking like a middle. It doesn't provide differentiation. Uh, and so what we talk about is, well, maybe highs adopt from the lows as a way to separate themselves from the middles. Um, not only uh, because the things that uh, are adopted by Lowe's already have meaning, and so they can co-opt that meaning and in some sense shift that meaning a little bit, but particularly because the middles are scared of doing it. Um, there's a, a bunch of old work on what's called middle status conformity and some more recent st- uh, work as well showing, hey, middles are worried about uh, sticking out in the wrong direction, uh, and so they're going to probably stick to what they're doing. They know safe things. They want to avoid looking like Lowe's, and so by doing things the middles wouldn't do, what the Lowe's are doing – uh, the highs create a way of, of differentiating themselves and discouraging uh, often the middles from following them. So you you mentioned several fashion examples in the in your paper, including the Balenciaga Moschino two thousand dollar version of IKEA's iconic blue shopping yeah. bag, uh, which I loved seeing a picture of. Um, other examples come from food. So what what are you seeing there? Yeah, I mean we we've all seen the lobster mac and cheese, right? And and we are we have uh, past the point uh, of peak lobster macaroni and cheese. Now we're probably on the downside of lobster macaroni and cheese. But you know, crab macaroni and cheese, lobster macaroni and cheese. Um, uh, a lot of these examples of traditionally high-end ingredients mixed with traditionally sort of downscale uh, ingredients. Uh, you know, we're sitting here in Philly. There's a, a great hundred-dollar cheese steak, or at least there used to be, right. at a restaurant called Barclay Prime in town. Uh, we think about a uh, hundred dollars is expensive. We think about Kobe beef and lobster is expensive. Those are ingredients of the cheesesteak. But we don't think about a cheesesteak as expensive. We think about a cheesesteak as very cheap. And so what they've done is taken something that's traditionally downscale and mix it with something uh, upscale. And so we see this in food. We see this in fashion. We see it in a variety of different domains. Any place where the highs are trying to figure out a way to set themselves apart from, from the middles. 
Let's talk about a couple of the experiments you did in the study. Can you walk us through one or two that really sort of highlight your findings? Sure. So uh, we did a number of, uh, of different things. Uh, we did studies, for example, where we measured people's actual status. And we said, okay, you know, do you want to do something that's uh, just already high status? Do you want something just middle status, low status, or something that mixes high uh, and low status? So, um, you know, if we're planning a party, for example, and we're a wealthier or a high status individual, we're more likely to pick a menu for that party that mixes is high and low. Uh, if we're picking clothing, for example, are we more likely not just to pick the traditionally high things, but also things that mix the high and low? Uh, but we also did some studies where we assigned people. So um, imagine you're in a laboratory, you're assigned to be either a high status person or not. Um, and then you have to pick a watch, for example, uh, and that watch has a color and a shape. Uh, do you want to pick the color and the shape of highs? Do you want to pick the color and the shape of lows, of middles? Or might you want to pick a color of highs and a shape uh, of lows or a shape of highs and a color of lows? And so this idea of mixing and matching uh, those, those two aspects. And so across all these studies, what we see is, you know, middles like the middle stuff, sometimes middles like the high stuff, uh, but highs really like this idea of mixing and matching, uh, of picking not only just high things, but mixing high and low. So, so it's not just simply a, a matter of adopting... Uh, um, a signal from another another status. It, it's actually a process of of mixing and matching. Is that the key? Yeah, and I think this is really one of, to me, the interesting ideas behind this paper. Uh, and maybe this is obvious already, but. Um, most research on signaling, most ideas of signaling says things have a signal. We'll focus on one thing. We'll think about what that thing communicates. What does it mean to drive uh, a BMW? What does it mean to wear a certain style of clothes? What does it mean to work at a certain type uh, of organization, a startup rather than a legacy business, let's say? And we think about the meaning of these individual items uh, and what these individual items signal or communicate us about to others. Uh, with this work, as well as a, a small number of other papers begins to talk about is, hey, there are actually multiple domains of communication, right? For anything, whether it's cars or clothes or anything we do, there's not just one dimension. Uh, there are actually multiple dimensions, and we can mix and match across those multiple dimensions. There's this uh, famous Italian chef that we talk about in, in the paper who uh, uses potato chips uh, on his menu. Now, if all you knew about that restaurant was they serve potato chips, that's it. And I asked you, hey, is it high or low? What would you guess? You probably say, oh, well, they serve potato chips. It must be low end, right? Mm -hmm. If I told you a place serves uh, macaroni and cheese by itself, you might assume, okay, it's maybe lower, traditionally lower, uh, lower end. But suddenly now by using multiple dimensions, by mixing and matching, by doing potato chips with foie gras or potato chips with caviar, now it allows them to differentiate themselves. And that's actually what we find in the experiments as well. When there's only one dimension of communication, highs don't go low. Highs don't pick things from the lows because they know they'll be misconstrued. Right? There's no way to separate them from, from lows. And so highs only borrow uh, from traditionally marginalized groups uh, when there's that ability to mix and match. Pick something traditionally high and mix it with something more traditionally low. Now, this is a bit outside of the scope of your research paper, but it, it, a lot of brands have been playing with this idea of borrowing signals from other strata. Yeah. A and uh, so one example would be you know, Target launching its Missoni line. Yeah. Um, is there a danger for brands in that kind of mixing, especially when, uh, as you said, that sort of high status tries to differentiate itself from the middle? Yeah. I think the question uh, for brands, there's, um, there's many strategies or many paths you could take. And as long as you're doing a good job of, of activating or implementing that path, 
you're you're going to be successful. So take take Missoni for example, partnering uh, with Target. If your goal uh, is to go class to mass, if your goal is to say, hey, we had a high end positioning, but we want to make more revenue, we want to sell to a larger set of people, we don't care if brand equity gets a little bit diluted, then that's a great strategy, right? And by the way, it's clear why Target wants to to partner. It with seems a like it brand. benefited Target. Probably yeah. Oh, it more. definitely benefits Target, right? It, it moves Target a little bit up in the status hierarchy. Yeah. It can also be beneficial for those high end brands because they sell more. I think about a Tiffany's or a Coach that are still reasonably high-end brands, but they're not anywhere near as high. Think about Donna Karen, right? You know, when originally that brand came out, it was much higher than it is now. It's moved down market in part by choice to sell to sell more stuff. I think the danger is when the goal is not to move down market, but then you've diluted that brand equity and it's hard to move back up. I think the danger of doing some of what we've talked about today is when you try to mix and match, but it fails, right? Or it doesn't seem authentic um, or it comes off the wrong way. It doesn't seem real. You're not working with members of the communities that you're borrowing from. Uh, then it fails, right? You look when brands try to do quote unquote streetwear collections, mm-hmm. um, but they don't really understand and they misappropriate concepts, whereas other brands really partner with uh, brands. You know, they say, hey, let's work with a brand like Supreme. Yes. Um, let's do a collaboration where it's a mixing and matching of both of our brands. We're really in- involving the creative team from that brand, much more likely to be successful than just sort of poaching uh, symbols from other groups. What is the most bizarre example that you've seen of this kind of mixing? I'm just curious. Uh, you know, uh, Sylvia, my co-author, who's a professor at Columbia, was very nice to celebrate uh, the publishing of this paper. She sent me um, a cologne that's actually uh, in a bottle of um, uh, Fantastic, I think. I think yeah. is that. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so it's a very high-end brand. Yeah. Uh, it's like, I don't know, probably $100, $200 cologne. Maybe it's even right. more expensive than that. Sorry, Sylvia, if it's even more expensive. Apologies. Um, but it's in this thing that looks blue. It actually like comes a in Windex. a blue liquid. It looks like Windex. Yes. It looks like Windex. And so it looks like it's nothing. It looks like this cheap Windex bottle. It's actually very, very high-end fragrance. And so interesting uh, idea. Um, uh, You know, if I'm somebody that's trying to separate myself from the traditional luxury crowd or the middle status group, maybe I'm more willing to do this because they go, what is this thing that looks like Windex? I'm not buying it. (laughs) And why are you squirting yourself with it? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So so what do you think uh, the broader implications of the study yeah, I, I think it moves forward our understanding of status. I think we've all been to a restaurant that has lobster macaroni and cheese or crab macaroni and cheese. We might have wondered where are these things coming from. I think now we get a better sense of where uh, these things are coming from. Helps us understand status dynamics uh, and helps us think about whether we're brands or whether we're individuals. You know, if our goal is to be perceived as high status, ways in which we might do that. Uh, and do that effectively and maintain our position in the hierarchy. Uh, if we want to be, quote unquote, an influencer, novel, differentiated, if we want to be ahead of the crowd, we may want to think about mixing uh, and matching. If we want uh, to avoid being misperceived, we need to think about carrying it out the right way. But it may be a direction for some set of brands or individuals to think about. Well, Jonah, thanks so much for taking the time to share your research with us. Yeah, thanks for chatting. If you like what you heard, you can read more about Jonah's research on knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu, and you can follow us on your favorite podcast platform, too. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 